Montenegro is a tiny European country in the Balkans on the Adriatic Sea, about 226 miles east across the Adriatic from Italy. It borders Bosnia and Herzegovina and Serbia to the north and Kosovo and Albania to the south. For decades, it was part of the former Yugoslavia, which encompassed present-day Slovenia, Croatia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Serbia, Kosovo, Macedonia, and Montenegro. In the 90s, Montenegro became part of the Federal Republic of Yugoslavia, which was a smaller version of Yugoslavia, just encompassing present-day Serbia and Montenegro. Kosovo is also in the mix here, but that's a whole nother topic. In 2003, it was renamed simply Serbia and Montenegro. In 2006, a narrowly passed referendum led to Montenegro becoming a fully independent state, separate from Serbia. Montenegro's ever-changing national identity has caused its 600,000 residents to be a mixture of different regional ethnic groups. About 45% are Montenegrins, 28% Serbs, 9% Bosniaks, 5% Albanians, and about 1% Croats. It's a hyper-religious country, with the majority of the country practicing in the Serbian Orthodox Church. The minorities in the country usually practice either Catholicism or Islam. These religious differences usually run along ethnic lines. Montenegrins and Serbs are usually Orthodox, Croats, Catholics, and Bosniak and Albanians, usually Muslim. In late August of 2020, for the first time in three decades, Montenegro elected a new ruling party. Since the 90s, the DPS, the Democratic Party of Socialists, run by President Milo Dukanovic, has been the majority party in Montenegro, but the 2020 elections in the country swapped that power for the first time in 30 years. The catch is, the party who ran in opposition to the DPS, the newly elected majority party, is a religiously orthodox far-right group. This far-right party is called For the Future of Montenegro Party. They're a brand new coalition formed just weeks before the election. Three smaller conservative right-wing parties joined forces in August and formed the new For the Future of Montenegro Party in hopes of defeating the long-ruling DPS and Milo Dukanovic, which they have now achieved. Media outlets and critics have labeled them as pro-Serb nationalists as they have close ties to the right-wing Serbian government in Serbia. But in their defense, the For the Future of Montenegro party has publicly welcomed all Montenegrins of all ethnic groups to their party. But that just may be to save face. Since the victory by the For the Future of Montenegro party, tensions have spiked against the Muslim Bosniak minority in Montenegro. This spike in tension aimed at Muslims is especially alarming in this region. In 1992, as Yugoslavia began to dissolve, war broke out in the Balkans, specifically in present-day Bosnia and Herzegovina. During the war, an ethnic cleansing campaign was started against Bosniak Muslims. This sparked the first genocide in Europe since the Holocaust. The Serb army in Bosnia, backed by the Serbian-dominated Yugoslavian army, perpetrated atrocious crimes against the Muslim Bosniaks, resulting in the death of some 25,000 Bosniak civilians. The most infamous ethnic cleansing occurred in the eastern Bosnian town of Srebrenica, where 8,000 Bosniaks were massacred. In this episode, I spoke with Abid Sabanovic, a Bosniak Muslim who lives in a town in the northern part of Montenegro. I spoke to him about what it's like to be a Bosniak minority the election, and what the election means for the Bosniak Muslims in Montenegro now and in the future. 
Hi, Abid. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you. So, Abid, starting off, I want to ask you about the political parties involved in this election. Did you support the previous regime of the Democratic Party of Socialists and Milo Dukanovic? And what about the opposition party, the new regime for the future of Montenegro Party? I'm assuming you didn't support them, but tell me about it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not any sympathizer with the previous regime and Milo Djukanovic. And I don't think they were a good thing for this country. Some say it was a dictatorship. You know, I think maybe it's a bit dramatic, but, you know, it's, it's, it's reasonable to think so because the one party was in rule for so long. And I, th- I think they're corrupted. They damaged the country and its people a lot. But on the other side, I think that the new regime could bring change. But what I'm worried about and what are a lot of minorities worried about is that their uh, Serb nationalistic flavor and ideology. And when you see ultra-nationalists taking over, you don't feel good. And because even though you you lived not the best life before, like now you have uh, some indications of existential threat to you. And that's why I'm in a position that I have not many options good options. So sadly, uh, I think a lot of minority in Montenegro is put in a position to choose the lesser of two evils. So it's safe to say that you were stuck between a rock and a hard place when choosing between the Socialist Party and the future of Montenegro Party. You didn't yeah, su- You basically. didn't really support either. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. So I want to talk about this reported spike in tensions towards Bosniaks. I've seen reports that since for the future of Montenegro Party one, there have been an increase of incidents against Muslims like yourself in Montenegro. Can you tell me if that's true, what you're seeing, and to what extent that's happening? Yeah, sure. So after the elections, uh, the celebration took place, of course. You know, during the night and during the following day, a lot of people were going out just in cars, you know, but with their sirens on, you know, making noise and whatnot, and which is okay. That's not a problem uh, by itself, but, you know, there were also some incidents. These people, not all of them, but, you know, some of them went through the, the Muslim neighborhoods with the intention uh, of provoking the population. There were some physical attacks. My friend got attacked and his father, it was like broad daylight in a cafe. Other friend, his car was attacked by some vandals, a couple of them. And of course, after that, there were graffiti and some messages sent uh, to the Muslim Bosniak population talking about the genocide and 92 and, you know, calling on a new genocide and whatnot. Of course, the opposition said it was set by the DPS, the, the previous ruling party. So the for the future of Montenegro party is saying that this is sort of a setup to make them look bad by the uh, socialist party. Do you buy that or you think that's just totally made up? Uh, I'm actually not sure. Uh, both options could be possible because the previous DPS party of Milo Djukanovic was known like to raise tensions, tensions. But, you know, on the other side, I know personally and I've had a lot of negative experiences. So it was maybe set up some of it. Uh, it is possible, but it is also possible that the ultranationalists did it. So I'm not actually 100% sure who is fault. Both options could be possible. And what I'm focusing on is talking up about that the ultranationalism should be eradicated rather than giving into conspiracy theories and saying that, oh, it was all set up. 
because because the ultra nationalism is a problem. It's a definitely a problem that hasn't been solved for thirty years. So earlier you mentioned your friend and his dad being attacked in a cafe in broad daylight. Can you describe to me what exactly happened to your friend and his father in this cafe? Um, they were just people who went uh, out of the car, a couple of them, and they started verbally provoking him and then uh, approached them and physically attacked them. It wasn't uh, serious because people around helped, but he was like thrown on the ground. It was minor injuries, but it's still it's more of a physical effect. Imagine if you're sitting in a cafe and out of nothing, some someone just comes to you and start provoking you and attacking you and your father. And my, you know, my mom called police, and she's actually known for that because she 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 doesn't stand injustice. She you know calls the police. When this incident happened uh, with my friend a couple of days ago, she actually called the police and said, "Can you guarantee my safety? You know, can I be safe in this town?" Have the police stepped up at all to stop this extremism that's happening and coming into your town? Actually, a bit late. Initially, like nothing was done. The politicians came and the media was talking about it, but the actual police, you know, wasn't alerted. At the beginning, we should have been done. And only a bit later, like two days later, it, 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 they did. And they didn't find the, the guilty. They don't know who it is, allegedly. Abid. Can you describe to me the discrimination you faced throughout your life as a Bosniak? There were a lot of examples, and not just my personal, but also from my siblings. Yeah. Um, for example, when my brother went to, he was on a field trip with his school, and like a half a bus was singing at one occasion. His name is Alia, and the, like the derogatory word that is used for Muslim is Balia, like Alia Balia, you know? It's like the mm-hmm. N-word for Muslims, basically. And mm-hmm. half of the bus, which are kids actually in elementary school, was singing that. And also I've, I've faced problems like in college, there was a group that got drunk in their room and they were saying like singing ultra-nationalistic songs about the Chetnik movement, which is basically a Nazi movement in the Balkans. There was one occasion when some car with the Chetnik flag, actually, it's like, imagine going, you, you saw a car with the Nazi flag in the middle of the night. It's just bad, you know, imagine if, if some Nazi songs were sung, sung in, in, in Germany. If, if, I don't know, the, the Merkel's opposition won or something, I don't know, some far-right party won. So Abid just mentioned the Chetniks. They're an important group and ideology to understand, to grasp the hyper-nationalist tendencies and ethnic conflicts of this region. Here's a quick history lesson. The term Chetnik is said to first be coined in the mid-1800s. It was often mentioned in terms of needing to organize armed units in and around Serbia to fight the Turkish Ottoman rule who controlled the Balkans at that time. However, the guerrilla-style Chetnik army wasn't actually established until the eruption of World War II in Europe. Although never really homogenous, they established themselves as Yugoslavian royalists, supporting the king who ruled the region at the time. Their slogan was, for king and fatherland. They were staunchly anti-Croat, anti-Muslim, anti-communist, and proudly pro-Serb, with Serb ethno-nationalist aims. They wanted Yugoslavia to be a Serb ethno-state, much like the Nazis wanted Germany as a Aryan-German ethno-state. The Chetniks during World War II were technically in opposition to the Axis powers as the Axis had occupied Yugoslavia and were allies with the Allied forces, but it's not quite that simple. 
They often engaged in tactical and selective collaboration with the Axis powers. Taking advantage of their alliance on both sides and the overall chaos during World War II, the Chechniks roved Yugoslavia enacting acts of terror across the region against ethnic groups they disapproved of. These acts included killing of civilians, burning of villages, assassinations, and destruction of property in general. Between 1941 and 1945, Chechniks killed over 29,000 Muslims living in the region. Some historians argue this was a genocide, although it's not internationally recognized as a genocide like the one in the 90s. Although even the one in the 90s has been contested. Abid tells me he remembers many of his classmates growing up denying that the Bosniak genocide in the 90s ever happened. After World War II, communists took power in Yugoslavia. The communists executed the Chechnik leader and essentially squashed the movement. However, in the 90s, when Yugoslavia began to dissolve and Yugoslavian communists lost power, the Chechnik ideology was free to rise again. In the early 90s, Chechnik-based political parties began to pop up in the Balkans. When war broke out in the 90s, many paramilitary groups established themselves and stylized themselves as Chechniks. These neo-fascist Chechnik paramilitary groups and their leaders helped carry out the genocide against the Muslim Bosniaks in the 90s. Yes, the Chechniks did not reach the number of atrocities of the Nazis, but the Nazis are in every history class across the globe, the Chechniks hardly known. I asked Abid about what this Chechnik movement looks like today. Do you feel that the Chechnik movement has gained some steam since this election and for the future of Montenegro's victory? It was actually never gone, and every time some political tension rose up, the Chetnik movements are present because they identify the Chetnik movement with their patriotism. What, this might be hard to actually get a real number on, but what percentage do you think of Montenegrins, of the population of Montenegro, ally with this far-right Chetnik type of ideology? That's a, that's a tough question, and I don't want to do that because I know a lot of people are good. I, I, I won't give how many people ally with the movement and actually support it, but one big problem is even if those people support it and all of the others are categorically against it, that wouldn't be a problem. That, that would be actually okay. But a lot of, I'm not saying that the majority are aligning with it, but I think that a lot of them, if not the majority, are passive about it. They don't consider it that big of a deal, which is important because if you're passive about something, you're helping the oppressor, actually. And that's the problem I see. Like, it's not only the individuals. It has to be done uh, in the institutions. The schools have to, you know, fight it. The, the institution of the country have to fight it. The religious organizations have to fight it. Like, every institution in the society should fight it. So do you believe there should be initiatives put in through the government that try to give the Bosniaks an equal chance at economic, social prosperity, just like the rest of the country? Yes, yes. And also, like, they should really put a serious effort into finding everyone that makes such ultra-nationalistic incidents. They should fight every form of ultra-nationalism, be it a Serbian or Croatian or Montenegrin, whatever. Because the minorities don't feel safe. And I'm assuming you're not optimistic about this new right-wing regime doing anything about these things. 
Honestly, I'm not because they are ultranationalists. Now you have people that are actually endorsing and cherishing the ultranationalistic ideology, and you know we just can't expect that uh, it will be treated better. I think it it will be it maybe get worse. What can be done? What do you see any path forward to make a more equitable society and to reduce the nationalistic risings in Montenegro? What's the path forward? What you know? How, how do you see it being changed? Yeah, I think this problem is very much rooted. I hope that Europe and European Union, because we're moving that way and we're actually the next candidate most probably for the European Union, I, I hope that they will put more pressure on the ultra-nationalistic movements and say like this won't be tolerated if you want to get to, into EU. Because I, I don't think that people would change on their own, but if someone forces them to like this, I think it can change. Further west in countries like the UK, in the United States, there's sort of a lot of backlash against these larger international kind of conglomerates like the EU, like NATO. But from your perspective, you actually see these organizations as sort of a saving light for your country. Yes, I'm hopeful that you will put pressure and I see it as a as a you know, as a positive, I, I disagree with something, but you know, overall, I think it's a good thing for Montenegro. Right. So do you get discouraged at all when you see people in the US or in the UK talk down about NATO or the EU or things like that? And do you think that these larger countries are sort of letting their own ego and their own nationalism get in the way when they fight against things like the EU or NATO and they're forgetting about countries that could really benefit from it, like Montenegro? Yeah, I think that's the case. Uh, so, yeah, sometimes, you know, they're they're not really caring that much. So yeah, I, I wouldn't say like discourage is maybe a strong word. I'm a bit surprised. Back to the 90s for a second. I'm curious, do Bosniaks live in fear in Montenegro that some sort of ethnic cleansing anti-Muslim program could be started like it was in the 90s in Bosnia? There is anxiety, there is fear. Uh, some people are worried, but honestly, I don't think it's it's going to happen. Even though the ultranationalism is present, I don't think there's a ground for it, especially if we take into consideration that there isn't an army strong enough to do that. In the 90s, there was the Yugoslavian National Army that was one of the strongest in Europe, actually. And, you know, we're a member of NATO. But again, you know, people thought the same in the 90s, the international community would intervene. Abid, you've told me about how when you were a kid, you remember hearing your classmates denying the genocide. Oh, it's, it's still today, not, not before. It still happens a lot. So you still find people denying the genocide? Of course, there are a lot of them. Like, even some people would be okay with you. They would respect your, your religion, but they would say, like, no, there wasn't a genocide. It was a hoax. You know, it was set up by, by the Westerners. It was a lie. You know, some people even say, like, you killed yourselves to gain international attention. Like, there are, like, a million of conspiracy theories, but they just wouldn't accept it. And that's, I, I would say that the majority of people wouldn't accept the genocide, which is a huge problem. And just to, for, for the listeners, just to clarify, every relevant institution recognizes it as a genocide in the international community, the Hague Court in Netherlands. So it, it is widely recognized as a genocide, as it is with the Rwandan genocide, as it is with the Holocaust. You know, it is a genocide. So I'm curious, with all these different ethnic groups in such a small country, with Serbs, with Bosniaks, with Montenegrins, with Albanians, 
is there a collective Montenegrin culture or is it sort of you're just dealing with a country that has such a mixed bag that there isn't this collective culture? Yeah, I'm afraid. Yeah, that that's like a one one issue. Now <laughs> it's typical for the Balkans. So I wouldn't say there's a collective. You know, when you say a Montenegrin, if you could mean like or either a Bosniak or a Montenegrin or a Serb, people from Montenegro and a Montenegrin isn't the same because there's a considerable minority of other people living there too. So yeah, it's 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 tough to talk about a collective identity when you have so much so many mixed identities. I'm curious, do you consider yourself a Bosniak first or a Montenegrin first? I'm a Bosniak. I know a lot of Muslims and Bosniaks really love Montenegro. I do love it. But, you know, as a minority, I am a Bosniak. And actually, my first identity is actually Muslim. I'm a religious guy. And, you know, after that comes the, the, the Bosniak. But, of course, I'm a Bosniak in Montenegro. I love my Bosniak identity, but I also love Montenegro and Montenegrins. Are you optimistic for the future of Montenegro? Overall, I am. I you know, I'm I'm naturally an optimistic person. I tend to be. I try to be. And even though the opposition won, I still think, and I'm kind of excited to see what change will they bring, because after all, the same party, the same man was in rule for 30 years, so the change is needed definitely. I'm just worried uh, of the elements that come with it. And, you know, we'll see what what will happen. I I, I want to be optimistic. Right. And I, I like to ask this question to my guests at the end. Um, what do you love about Montenegro? A lot of things, you know, we're a really small country with a really small population. And I think we're a gem. We have a lot of beautiful things to offer. You know, I'm from the northernmost part of the country, and I studied on the seaside. Uh, it's beautiful, honestly. And I know there are a lot of good people in this country, and that we can really be a great country, a prosperous country. I've seen a lot of people that respect me and respect my religion and my ways of doing uh, things. I'd say just, you know, the diversity. It's it's one of the best things in Montenegro. Yeah, and let's hope you guys are able to continue to celebrate that diversity and these far-right voices don't take over. Yes. Abid, I want to thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm really honored. Uh, Honestly, I didn't expect to uh, get so much attention, but I'm really glad you contacted me and that you're interested uh, in this topic. The international community sat by while two major ethnic cleansing events occurred in the Balkans just in the last 80 years. Ironically, one during World War II while many fought against the genocidal Nazis on the same continent, and the other happened, believe it or not, right under the UN's nose. There's that old saying, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. But there's no saying for fool me three times. I don't necessarily think the international community was fooled, but it may be more apt to say, it happens once, shame on you. It happens twice, shame on me. It happens three times and, well, shame, shame, shame. Abid is optimistic for the future and believes things will settle. But it's of utmost importance that the world doesn't let anything resembling ethnic cleansing happen a third time in this region. There's an old saying in Tennessee, I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once, shame on shame on you 
Fool me, we can't get fooled again. 